Hey, welcome to the Harry Man Show, number 25, where a drum never goes out of tune with Kenny Sherritt. Wow, this is going to be a heck of a show. I got one of the most renowned drum techs in the world. Uh, well, well, I'll tell you a lot more, but how are you doing, Shane, Kenny? Man, I'm doing wonderfully well. All things considered, life could be better. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And just, uh, we'll kind of go on a little bit of your backstory, but if anyone that doesn't know, well, everyone does, but uh, Kenny is... He's played with countless uh, huge acts ar- around the world. He's got a YouTube channel that's great for mentoring and educating with tuning and lessons. Would you tell us a little bit how you got started into drum teching, Kenny? Well, I mean, you know, it, it all starts with playing drums. You know, we all start playing when we're young. We chase a dream, did marching band in high school, did, you know, choir, uh, jazz band, orchestra, everything. Studied music in college and then went got my degree in business mm-hmm. at the University of Texas at Austin. Hook them horn. Oh, nice. And from there, that drive and determination helped me further my music career in Austin. But as everyone knows, it's a hard business. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's a hard, hard business. And so while I was making music here in town, I met a guy named Trace Foster. God, re- uh, God bless that dude. And we wrote some songs together and put a band together for a South by Southwest showcase oh, nice. around an artist that he was working with. Mm-hmm. And the, uh, the drummer that actually played on the record was Kenny Aronoff. Oh, wow. And so... When it came time to prepping everything, I set up the rehearsal room, booked the band members. It was just him and two guitar players. So I had to come up with keys and bass and background vocals, a PA to rehearse with, a room to rehearse in, and making it simple and cost effective. Mm-hmm. And when he saw me handle all that business and handle all the booking stuff and handle all the details, he realized this guy could go on the road. Mm-hmm. So he offered me an opportunity to go out on the road as drum tech for Kenny Aronoff on a Melissa Etheridge tour. Oh, wow. That's and a big that's one to start with. <laughs> that's, a, that's a huge yeah, one to you, start it, with. It's yeah. not like I just kind of snuck in the side, man. There we go. Hey, man, you want to go take care of the master? I'm like, uh, yeah. <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> wow. So how long did you spend working with uh, Kenny Arnoff there? Uh, we did two tours together. Oh, nice. The first yeah. one was magical. Uh, more lessons than I could have ever imagined. That dude is just an absolute library of knowledge. everything you expect him to be. And he's got to be one of the nicest, most genuine human beings on the planet. Nice. Uh, and so I did two tours with him. And the second one was a very hard tour where everyone was getting fired. And I was <laughs> not of that exception. I, you, know, you step in the wrong situation politically, you don't understand because mm. you're a newbie. And then all of a sudden, you're at home and the artist's brother who was not doing anything out on tour is now the drum tech. But the reality is that brother became a dang good drum tech. So it was all fate. It was all meant to be. Yeah. And when I came home, I, I was like, Oh, what am I going to do? And I'm playing music and pouting on the couch. I wasn't even playing gigs. And my wife looked at me and said, that's it. And nothing did. <laughs> and so I got up off my couch, stopped pouting, went back to practicing, got a great local gig with a great artist by practicing my butt off. Mm. And then, just through the connections I had made in those two small years, I made myself get a gig with Smash Mouth, which lasted a year. Nice. It was a lot of fly dates, just putting it all together. And they had a wonderful crew of people. And that moment right there, getting that gig with Smash Mouth was probably one of the most instrumental parts of me getting further in the, the, my career. Because one, I got to work for an un, quote-unquote unknown drummer, but probably one of the greatest drummers on the planet, Michael Urbano, hmm. one of my heroes. And since I had studied his stuff as young and I wasn't afraid to say so, I got the gig. 
<laughs> met a whole bunch of great people, worked with them for a year, and still got to play music in Austin because we'd work about a month, a week a month, every month. Mm-hmm. But uh, then it just, it just, they weren't working enough. A lot, there's a lot of politics in some of these rock band camps, and it just became an uncomfortable place to work. Mm-hmm. And so I just reached out this one day for this other gig that kept coming across my table. But I didn't, I made the call, didn't get it. Kept making the call. Just kept going, I wonder if they booked this dude. I kept trying. And then one day, something happened that made me go, I have to get that gig. Mm-hmm. And I called. And the dude answered. <laughs> the person they had hired, instead of taking my call, the person they had hired had failed. In the first two weeks in, he just wasn't the guy. Wow. And I got the gig. And I went out on tour with Josh Stone, uh, working with one of the best backline techs I've ever worked with in my life, Brian Huddleston. Young little kid, but he was awesome. And that blew everything pretty much wide open. After that, it was a career. Nice. And I, I kind of want to get back yeah. into your playing before we go into more of your history there. But what were your main influence in the playing? I know you're a big Bonham guy, but what type of bands? What type of bands were you playing with before becoming a drum tech, or what bands do you still play with now? Man, I'm. You know, when it boils down to it, I'm a blues rock country drummer. Mm-hmm. I drove the big band at Sam Houston State University as best I could, and I got okay at it. Playing a lot of Buddy Rich, Lou Felsen. Uh, learning a lot of Bop, but Bop wasn't really my thing. Big band, I enjoy. But when I came to Austin, man, it was all blues, funk, uh, rock, country. Nice. And so I played in everything from metal <laughs> and pop metal bands during the late hair metal days. Oh, nice. And then when it transitioned into, you know, the, the Nirvana days, I'm going, finally, music I want to play. Yeah. Like, I did this. And so, you know, I had an original band, Box Box in Austin. We played and we played all the big clubs. We were going to make it. We one step shy of getting signed. And then, like, a lot of bands, you just break up. And uh, after that, it was picking up gigs with a lot of artists like, you know, George DeVore, Kevin Fowler, uh, Rusty Weir. And I got to do some tours with Monty Montgomery. These are all regional music legends. Pack a club. Uh, and then in between that, I was playing a lot of cover bands. A lot of cover band gigs, man. You got to eat. Mm-hmm. Teaching lessons in the day, playing, you know, uh, uh, Brown Eyed Girl at night. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, I, I'd be happily doing that myself, and not many people are doing it right now. But, yeah, I mean, yeah, if that works, that works. Well, yeah, and what a lot of people don't realize is that even some of the great drummers, you know, uh, when they come home, they've got a wedding gig. They've got a playing gig. They've got a local thing they do. I mean, like one of my artists, uh, Little John Roberts, the work he does in the Atlanta music community is off the map, dude. Really, and it's nothing. He's just playing a local club, and there's little John Roberts. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. yeah, you got to stay busy. It, yeah, they stay busy, dog. Uh-huh. And I'm telling you, some of these guys are like, hey, man, it's a $1,000 wedding. I guarantee you, if they need some money, they'll be playing that wedding. They'll be playing some Brown Eyed Girl, bro. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's amazing what you'll see. And then, uh, obviously, you're still playing uh, with uh, local bands, though. Uh, how many how many acts are you doing at one time when you're not teching? Do you just kind of network with a lot of cover bands, local bands, or do you just stick with one? Well, it depends. Like, recently, I took a little break from power touring because my wife needed a little help at, uh, in the health department, and I needed a little break. I was just, man, I was gone all the time. I wanted to see my wife. Yeah. So I formed a, a cover band. I uh, did all the tracks, did all the programming, all the booking and everything. Terrible, man. I never want to do that ever again. <laughs> <laughs> I want to go back to the days when I was playing in five cover bands mm-hmm. that all played the, pretty much the same material, except they all had different versions of how they ended. Like, there's actually five different ways mm-hmm. to end 
any way you want it. I didn't know this. <laughs> I thought Journey had one way. They pretty much covered it. But no, people have different ideas. Yeah. So that was the challenge. Which way are we ending it tonight? Yeah, and, I think- and I'd also get the opportunity to play with a lot of amazing original artists. And just, you know, I do what I can. I do a lot of studio work. And right now, I've got my own band, so-called Underground, which is a songwriting consortium. And, uh, you know, I write songs. People come in, co-write with me. My wife and I co-write. And then we produce it and put it out. Use it. Oh, nice. Yeah, I definitely yeah, want I can't- I definitely want to pay credit to your playing because you're a phenomenal drummer as well. I mean, you understand dynamics oh. and... Uh- you're, I mean, just I, I've been enjoying your channel a little bit more recently, though. But man, you're just you're on it. You, everything's broken down really well. Um, yeah, I, I highly recommend your YouTube channel to anybody. But yeah, I mean, that's right. YouTube, Kenny Sherrod, drum tuning, drum tech, drum programming, <laughs> and of course, drumming. Yeah, and uh, you do take a lot of the frust- since we're on that topic, you take a lot of frustration out tuning because that that's something I don't think I'll ever master. I mean, every drum set's different. You know, I, I collect drums myself, but. Yeah, I just get on your videos, and I, I, as long as I'm following your steps, I know I'm going in the right direction, is what I'm trying to say. Man, that makes me happy. I'm actually uh, putting together a full series showing a lot of my mojo, stuff I've never shown before, and I'm editing it right now. It's going to be up on a subscription channel, uh, is how it looks like it's going to be, unless we just go, you know, here's the video, download it from my website. It's going to be one of the two ways. Mm-hmm. I'll have that decided in a few days, but uh, it's going to go deeper. And it's going to go through the process. And you can walk through the process with me. You go, I'm grabbing a drum. And I mean, literally from the ground mm-hmm. to sound. That way you might spend an hour doing it. But when you're done, you're like, dude, I can tune a drum. Yeah, yeah. I can tune a drum. And I'm like, yep. And that's my goal. Because th- there's mystery to it. You're right. You are correct, dude. What <laughs> kind of hoop you use? What kind of head you're using? Yeah. What kind of bearing edge it is? What kind of what it is? What kind of room what you're in? You're <laughs> what kind of music you're playing? You yeah. know, yeah. all of it upset. Yeah, it just feels like once I get a drum set dialed in my den in my house, it, when I bring it out somewhere, it's, it's a whole different drum set, and I'm like dealing with the last minute frustration, and you know, you know how that goes, obviously. But yeah, it's definitely. An oh art, yes, I do. It's an art itself, definitely, especially going from acrylic drums to maple shell to anything really, bridge shell, etc. So. Yeah, I definitely appreciate yeah. what you're doing with that channel. That's, that's awesome stuff. Oh, well, dude, thank you very much, man. It started kind of as a fun thing between my friend and I, Ryan Huddleston. I was like, we need to do a video series on tech stuff. Mm-hmm. So I'm out on train. We were like, to heck with it. Let's record some videos. Yeah. It just did it quick and kind of started growing. And I did a series and it came out well. And it really started growing. And I was like, this is awesome. So it became a hobby project when I wasn't at you know, and so it, a lot of times it came in first, and then I disappear first, disappear, which is absolutely not the way to start a YouTube. Yeah, channel. yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's in a kind of before, yeah. before I interrupted you there, uh, you were telling us a little about how you got the Josh Stone gig, and how did that go about too, as well? Like getting the gig or just doing it? You were just telling us just how you got into the Josh Stone gig, and uh, you're going from now. I'm sorry I interrupted you on that. You, man, you, it's, it's all good. Like I said, man, just. I knew I wanted that gig and I stayed determined. And that's a lot of what it takes to make it in the business, period, whether you're a drummer or a tech. Mm-hmm. For example, um, there was a time where I was working with Kelly Clarkson, mm-hmm. uh, wonderful artist, wonderful camp, but they changed drummers. And so he brought in his own tech. And I was doing the drummer and the guitar player, but I had got my friend Ryan Huddleston the gig where he was doing the guitar stuff. So I kind of. <laughs> was out of a gig and I'm like, Oh my gosh, we were going out on the road in like three weeks. Yeah. 
two or four weeks, took a month to start rehearsals. Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, what am I going to do? Well, I got a lead on the, uh, on the American Idol Slide game. Mm-hmm. And so I, I chased down the lead, called the guy, Graham Holmes, an awesome, legendary production manager. Absolutely love that dude. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is a joy to tour with. And, you know, we talked, we had a great interview, and in his Graham-like voice, he's got a Graham Reaper kind of <laughs> voice. And he says to me, well, that's nice. You're a nice guy. I'll call you back. We're going to check with some guys in L.A., and I'll call you back. And I said, why don't you skip that? <laughs> I felt the job slipping from my fingers. He goes, what step? I said, the step where you hire from somebody from LA, they fail. And then you hire me instead two weeks later. Why don't you just go straight to hiring me? Because that's how I've gotten my last four gigs. Uh-huh. <laughs> is they hired somebody from LA. He screwed it up. They called me. They bring me in. I want that two weeks pay, please. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Now, mind you, if you ask me, do you have a place to stay in LA? We don't want to house you. I did. Do you have a car? I said, I can rent one. Can you fly out here? Yes, I have miles. <laughs> I took that gig. Yeah. And that gig led to a ton of other gigs. Yeah. And it reconnected me with a drum tech who is one of the best. Is Chris Oxett. God bless that dude. Mm-hmm. I owe that dude a lot. And, you know, the point about that gentleman is we met on the second tour I did with Kenny Aronoff. We became friends on a couple of shows. Mm-hmm. And I stayed in touch, not just to go, Hey man, where, can you find me a gig? I was like, no, I like the dude. Yeah, and he was a legend in the biz. Connect with those people, learn from them, guide them, do nice things for them because they're going to do something nice for you one day, and you're going to wish you had a big old stack of nice things you had done for them. Yeah, the circle of so karma there. Go, wow. Yeah. Yeah, bro. Because <laughs> I went. Um, we did the American Idols tour. Mm-hmm. And I was a little burnt out. I wanted a break, but I promised a friend of mine that I would go do 30 seconds tomorrow. I was actually doing keyboard, stage management, space. Oh, nice. And after that short tour ended, they were going to Europe with a scaled down crew. And so I was like, cool, I will go home and play music. And after that run, man, just a whole bunch of things happened where all our gigs got canceled. There was a big flood in Texas. All our gigs get canceled. And so my wife goes, you're going to have to go check again. I'm like, sure, no problem. <laughs> and I called two people that day. Chris Oxett, Kevin Allison. Met Chris on the one tour, stayed friends with him. Met Kevin Allison doing Smash Mouth, stayed friends with him. They were sitting on the back of a tour bus deciding who was going to take Chris Oxett's place on their current, current tour because his boss, Madonna, was going back to work. And so he goes, hey, man, would you like to work for Stevie Wonder? And I'm like, yes. Yes, I would. <laughs> a week later, I'm working. You want it. Yeah. And so it's just steps like that. Everything leads to everything else. Even if something sucks, you have to find the, the truth of the marrow of the bone and get in there and find what's good. Yeah. Learn from what's bad yeah. and move forward. Yeah. Never dwell, never backwards, always forward. Yeah. A friend in need is a friend indeed, always too. So, <laughs> you know what I mean? There's always something going on. There is. And I've had a lot of texts call me last minute that I've dropped gigs that I can do calling back going, hey man, can you cover my gigs for two weeks? Yes. Yes, I can. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, was there any memorable cities or places you really enjoy traveling in rotation or venues that you kind of were more notable to to just have a really natural sound to them? Oh, man. Uh, You know, it's funny. There's so many venues 
that I don't necessarily think about how great one sounds or great the other sounds because I'm usually back behind the drum set. Mm-hmm. But man, there's something the way about the way a drum set sounds in a basketball arena. Small bar, don't care. Huh. It sounds amazing. Yeah. And there's something about theaters, good theaters. Like I got to see a theater tour with Elvis Costello uh, with my drummer Pete Thomas. Who, I'm telling you, dude, that dude like seventy something or sixty something. He's still playing it on the drums. Absolute hoot of a human being mm-hmm. and a phenomenal drummer. And when I watched him play, I realized, wow, like ninety percent of the cool stuff I came up with was actually I was ripping him off, wasn't I? <laughs> like all these pop drum parts, all these drum sounds, these power post pop, you know, prog pop punk drum sound is mm. Pete Thomas. Huh. It's all Pete Thomas and Alex Costello. I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> and uh, But we just did a theater tour and some of these theaters were incredible. Mm. I got to see America again. I got to see the interior. This one theater in Kentucky was awesome. There's the Orchester Theater in New York, which sounds great. Uh, there's there's the theater in Chicago. I'm trying to remember what it's called right now. Uh, it is downtown. It's phenomenal. And I've done uh, shows with Elvis there, Train there, Jack Jackson sounds amazing you know then you get to all the sheds across america but when you get to europe that's where you get some unique experiences mm-hmm. and that's where you get to the festivals and you realize oh everything sounds better at a festival yeah because it's, <laughs> it's more of a uh, they don't get as much as america does so isn't it more like an event you know to them you know they kind of come out in the bigger numbers oh my goodness man there's no worse described as in europe uh it's simply heaven it's heaven dude Huh. Like when you go to the UK, I was, I was blessed to do live aid, mm-hmm. the, the 20 year, uh, resurgence of live aid oh, wow. held by Bob Gettoff and Elm John. And I was with Josh Stone and I cannot tell you the amount of energy that pop music brought to the English culture and, and the pride they have on their, on their Brit pop and the Brit rock. Oh wow. You know, I got to see Pink Floyd, the reunited Pink Floyd, much less I got to watch them rehearse in Hyde Park. Oh. <laughs> I played the Queen's Diamond Jubilee with, with Studio Wonder, and the amount of love that the British people showed for music really? is over. It's just all over the mountain. Oh, wow. That's, that's crazy to imagine, because you you, you're kind of in a bubble here in America, but you don't know that everyone else is watching America. You know what I mean? When they have it, it's huge, you know? Bro, we, yeah, I mean, just, just reality for all of us if you've not left this country. Yeah. Beyond Mexico or Canada, mm-hmm. tr- travel. Just travel somewhere. Take a take a peek, man. Take a look. Go somewhere you never thought you'd go. You go there and take a look, and all of a sudden you realize, oh, oh. <laughs> Just trust me, it happens, man. I've got a little taste of it, but not the UK yet. But yeah, I, I completely agree and understand what you're saying there because there's something everywhere, you know. Yeah, I mean, you hear about crushing poverty, and you you see it, certain cities in America which do have a lot of poverty, a lot of um, what they would call blight, but really it's just neglect mm-hmm. of of our society to make sure that our society is a great. Yeah, and then you go over to some place like South Korea or Japan, where your face just pops open when you see their freeways, their, their buildings, their their social imperative, and what they do as society together. You're like, oh, we're we're slacking. <laughs> we're really slacking. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Or then you go to like Indonesia, like to Jakarta. Uh, I just had a student from Indonesia today. He was awesome. And uh, beautiful people, beautiful country. But you come in the country and they say, yes, don't drink the water. And when you're in the sink in your, your hotel, it says, don't brush your teeth with the water. Mm-hmm. Death. Like that country, you bring in drugs, death. Chew gum, death. Yeah. Drink the water, death. Oh, man. And then you realize, wow, our water system is really good. And then you come out of your really pristine hotel 
to be reminded of the trip you came from the airport where there's two pristine buildings mm-hmm. and everything else is tin shack upon tin shack upon tin shack. Yeah. And you're like, oh, that's poverty. Like, yeah. hey, bro, that's poverty. Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely a lot to see and learn from. But uh, one thing I wanted to bring up was what are you currently endorsing with your uh, your drum tinny right now? I know you, you have a partnership with Big Bang, but what are the products that you're, uh, you've been making videos on recently? Man, I'll be honest. I've been enjoying the new Rogers drum set that I got from them. You know, I picked one up. Couldn't help it. I'm a big fan of Rogers drums when I was a kid. So when they said, you know, we've got them, I'm like, yeah, I got to have them. <laughs> and is that, and they, uh, uh, not to interrupt you, but did they remake the Dynasonic or are you still uh, using the old one? Oh, no. They remade the Dynasonic. All my Dynasonics are new, bro. Oh, nice. And I'm telling you, the drum tech who's a snob, <laughs> that snare drum's off the chain, dog. Yeah, I'm still, I'm still uh, on a hunt for one myself. Bro, oh, just brother to brother drummer. I'm telling you, man. Once I started using my six and a half inch one on my gigs, every sound guy would come to me after the first set and go, "Hey, man, what, what's that snare drum?" Now, mind you, I'm playing three to five gigs a week, uh-huh. including churches. Mm-hmm. Hey, man, what's that snare drum? I'm like, why? Because that's the best sonic snare drum I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> Literally, literally, I'd say 20, 30 sound guys just like, oh my God, what is that? Yeah. And uh, so the remake they did is ridiculously good. That's why I had to do a video on it. Mm-hmm. They sent me a drum, check it out. I'm like, I love it. Can I do a video on it? They're like, please. I'm like, done. <laughs> now, are they as loud as you know, the, the original ones? Or I'm sorry, what's that? Uh, no, what were you going to say? Uh, do they still project like the, the original ones did, or you think they project more now? Um, man, I think they project just a little bit more, but if you go watch my most recent video on my YouTube channel, YouTube, Kenny share it mm-hmm. modern versus vintage, uh, Covington series, bro, good luck. I'm telling the difference, <laughs> you know, uh, to be honest on the 12 inch toms, which we compared his take that I used in the video was his second take at the drums. That was a brand new bottom head, so it went down just to, just a little out of tune after two rounds of playing in the studio. The <laughs> snare drums, man, he's got an old head. It stretched just a hair. Second time around on the Dyna, man, it's just a hair different tuned, but I tuned them perfectly together. Mm-hmm. So you can hear, and the reality is, that 12-inch Tom, good luck on telling the difference between that 65 holiday and this 2020 Covington. You can't. Yeah, and what you can't tell the difference. Sounds a, like a Rogers drum. What's the finish on that Rogers kit? What's the name of it? They call it Red Ripple. Nice. Yeah, that's a really cool color too. I mean, wants to check it out. That's an awesome color. Dude, it's a great color, man, and uh, I, I'm blessed to have their support. And that's that's kind of the thing. The relationship developed because that's the thing. Like with a head, it developing. I use your products. And it just happened naturally. Mm-hmm. And that's where Big Bang came in a lot of things. But I also work with Ultimate Ears. Uh, it's amazing care of me. Kyle Sound, it's amazing care of me. And I got hooked up with them. I fell in love with them back on the Rihanna tour, 2011. Wow. Nice. Uh, Sean Sullivan was using, um, was using uh, Heil Mike for the drums. Mm-hmm. And it's, they were awesome. So now that's what I use. <laughs> okay, nice, nice. And yeah, things I- like, you know, I had, uh, I, I like Evans. I like Remo. I like Promark. I like Big Birth. Love me some Vader. But uh, after a while working with Evans, when I did a video for them, because I did about three or four videos for them for Diodario, mm-hmm. they offered me a deal where I could, you know, get some discounts on heads and stakes and kind of use them for my thing. And I'm like, sure, it's all good. I grew up playing Promark. 
Nice. You know? <clears throat> and would you consider yourself a collector in any kind of sense, or is there any drums that you held on throughout the years that you still play? Man, there's some drums I wish I had. Mm-hmm. But the reality is, my like, I have my DW kit, which I've had for a long time. I actually, 10, not to interrupt you, I actually have the same exact kit and the same finish, too. Shut up! Yeah, I have the 8, 10, 12, 14, 20. And you're talking about the Navy Diamond run, right? Yeah. Yeah, I've had that kit for about 15 years now. I love that kit. Mm. That kit and that color brings joy to my heart in a way I can't say. In fact, <laughs> it gave me one of my favorite drumming stories ever, which I'll share with you in a moment. Oh, nice, nice. Because it has to do with the finish. <laughs> yeah. And when I saw that color, not to interrupt you again, but when I saw that color, I was like, that's one of the kits I want. I, I have a couple of DWs now, but that was my first one. And I, that, I, when I got that, I sat there and stared at it like it was a sports car. You know what I mean? I love that color. It's gorgeous, man. It's a gorgeous finish, and you can't really get it anymore. No, I, I think it has to be custom order because I was trying to get a 16 for it, and it was like, well, it's going to be this and that. And you know, I was like, all right, well, you know, I'll come across one one day. But, yeah, it's a great color. Yeah, it is, dude. And I'm blessed for the color drum sets I have, man. And I have my little Questlove break beach, which honestly, I broke my ankle uh, while I was doing this cover band. <laughs> and once I was finally able to play a little bit again, I didn't want to re-break it or make it harder. Mm-hmm. And I was still on crutches. So I used my little break beach kit, 10, 13, 16-inch kick, the one you see in the videos. And bro, I'm telling you, you just try to casino after casino. Bar, club, party, all with that little 16 kick mm-hmm. and that dinosaurus snare. And people will come up to me and go, Man, are you seriously kidding me? You have a, you know, like a $40 kick drum with a, with a $1,000 snare. What are you doing? <laughs> but they couldn't believe the 16 sounded so good. And it's tuning, dude. Yeah. It's all about the drum tuning. That's the thing, man. You just got to treat your instrument well. Yeah, yeah. You know, but we did that because the finish brought me to, I'm on Josh Stone. We have four days off in East France. Me and Ryan go out to have a few beers and somebody eat. And we wanted to find something not American. Mm-hmm. We didn't want to go to another Irish pub. Mm-hmm. Didn't happen. Nobody wanted to serve us. We were the dirty Americans. You no, know, the French were partying. Huh. So we ended up at the Irish pub, which was cool because they had a band upstairs. And we were sitting there. The thing is like, what drink should we have? Because they were serving cheap shots. And uh, we ended up having this one called the 666, which Ryan, his room at the hotel, 666. Oh, we wow. had to drink it. Oh, wow. And we drank, drank a few more. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, I just had this overwhelming urge to play drums. And I go upstairs to go see the band. There's a huge line. But because I looked like I was in a band, I just said, band, man. Floated right past <laughs> the, right up to the guy. I've done that. He's swinging with the same finish as mine. Yeah. And I said, dude, that's a beautiful finish. Oh, you like it? What are you? I said, I'm a jump track for Josh Stone. He goes, you are the drummer for Just Stone? I said, no, I'm the drum tech for Just Stone. Uh-huh. You're the drummer for Just Stone? I said, yes, I'm the drummer for Just Stone. And he goes, great, I have to go to the bathroom. Would you like to sit in? And I'm like, yes. <laughs> so I sit down with this man. We play a Beatles song, mm-hmm. and they look at each other, and they go, okay, this guy's for real. And they huddle for a minute, and he leans over to me, and it's awesome. He goes, you are from Texas, right? I said, yes, Texas. Then you'll know what we're about to do. Think this band. But I can't remember the band he said because I was a little out of it. And they, you guys said, "What is that?" He goes, "It's our original music. You'll be fine." One, two, three, four. <laughs> that, bro. Wow. So we ended up playing seven songs, mm-hmm. seven original songs, and I was like, "Oh my god, how is this happening?" 
like I could read their minds, like I was transcending, like I was tripping. And because <laughs> the kit was my color, I, I, I felt like I was playing my kit. It was this real, like, acid trip of an experience. Yeah. Then the drummer comes and taps me, goes, man, you're going to take my key. I'm ready to play now. And I'm like, no problem. <laughs> and I walk out, and there's my friend Ryan in the audience, eyes as big as pie, pie plates, just sitting there rocking to the band. Mm-hmm. I'm like, hey, bro, what's up? He goes, where you been, man? I was the drummer playing drums in front of him. He goes, that one's you? <laughs> and I was like, so I went down to the bartender and I said, hey, man, what's in the 666? She goes, oh, this is an absinthe. Oh, wow. Real European absinthe. So actually, it was like I was just reading their cosmic mind. <laughs> Thank you, Blue Diamond Finish. Oh, Thank you. Wow, wow. Yeah, so you had like a whole... Uh... You know, trip on that one. <laughs> that was crazy. Yes, I did. But uh, no, for me, drum collecting really is about the snares I have, dude. Uh, every snare that comes to me has been a magical thing. Like I have a 5x14 superphonic chrome over aluminum that I found in a pawn shop when I was in a band with a guy who was roommates with Tommy Taylor who played with Christopher Cross and still played with Eric Johnson. Oh, nice. Our idol. You know what I mean? Yeah. Told the guy about the drum, went back to go get it, it was gone. Turns out Tommy picked it up, knew it was the real deal, got it to John, gave it to me for my birthday. Oh, wow. That's cool. You know what I mean? I have drums that have been given to me by my artists that are a part of my collection that shall never be. I mean, you know, you you remember a tour from that. Mm -hmm. You know, everything came to me in a way where it's fate. There's a guy who was making some great drums up here in Austin, Texas. Now I have a couple of them, trading him a few videos. Mm -hmm. And I got some one-of-a-kind of sweet snares that you'll never... A solid shelf man. Yeah. You know? So I just tried to smile and, and bring joy in life, you know? Oh, well, I know a guy like you. Joy has, uh, I know a guy like you has access to just pretty much anything, but was there a kit that you ever tech for that blew you away that you remember the most, though, that was just like it always just fell in tune real easily for you? Mm. That's a lot of them. Yeah. I mean, Sorry, that was honest, a very broad question. <laughs> that wasn't they, the best question there, but unless it's a rental kit, you know what I mean? Uh-huh. That's been beat to heck. And on when I was with Train, we had a couple of those. The drummer was had a penchant. The original drummer had a penchant for vintage Ludwig. So you're getting this, you know, seventies Ludwig floor on this but beat to death. Mm-hmm. Those drums could be a bit challenging, but the reality is everything else, it's not challenging to tune you. I just tune it. Mm-hmm. I think if if there was like if I had an X Men power. That would be it. Drum tuning and after show party setup. You know? <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. That's a good one. That's how I, that's how I tune. People ask me like, how do you tune drums and listen to drummers over Skype? And I'm like, I just do. I just know what it sounds like. Yeah. Which and is- that's why my lessons are so effective. Like for those who are listening, if you want to learn more about drum tuning, I do offer online lessons, Skype, Facebook, uh, FaceTime. And if you have to zoom, zoom is the worst, but everything else has great sound. And by the time you're done with an hour or an hour and a half, that moment you felt were like you could never understand what you were listening for, mm-hmm. that you didn't know how to tell if it was in tune or out of tune, guess what you do now? Yeah. And what would be the best place it's, to reach you for that? Oh, man, you could reach me a lot of different ways. You can reach me on Facebook, uh, Kenny Sherrod's drum page. You can reach me on my drum t- on my webpage, KennySherrod.net, S-H-A-R-R-E-T-T-S, that's S-H-A. R R E T T S. Nice. And then you can also hit me up through my YouTube channel. You can, you know, reach out to me through comments mm-hmm. 
And then you can find me on Instagram, man. Can you share it? Yeah, absolutely. I just wanted to point that out. So if you want to find it, but I, I don't want to give away any of your uh, the secrets, but what software do you use primarily when uh, you're doing recording? Well, it depends on which situation. Like when I'm at home, I use Ableton. I'm an Ableton guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just, uh, in my little drum studio that I've been building, I use Ableton and just picked up a focus, right? Uh, um, like the eight I twenty to I eight I I twenty. Yeah, I have the the sixteen myself. I just got that little five dude. That thing is so good. <laughs> yeah, I mean they're fun. They're just so easy to use. Mm-hmm. And they sound great. Yeah, yeah. But that's why I did my mic series on the high end micing kit. Like I know so many drummers who are making YouTube videos, drum recordings, and recording for the band and teaching lessons with this interface. Mm-hmm. And you're in a small drum room. So that's why I gave some of the tips that I gave. It's like, this will help you get a better sound for your recording. Eight channels, here you go. Because when I teach online lessons, you're getting one of, uh, when it comes to drum lessons, you're getting one of two things. If I have the mics up and the the black hole is off, Mm -hmm. you get my full kit. Mm -hmm. Because I'm running the interface back through my complete audio six because Skype loves my audio six from Native Instruments. Loves it. Nice. Zero problem. And then I, I want when to I don't use that, I use my iRig too, which is great, but I prefer the complete audio six. And as far as your lessons go, um, do you, do you have a book of your own, or is there certain follow, uh, books that you go through as far as rudimental and getting started with it? Well, I mean, as far as drummers go, you know, I go for basically usually beginner drummers and intermediate drummers. Mm. There's books I do use. Recently, I've been using Rick Latham's Advanced Punk Studies because it really gets drummers. For our young students who are not quite sure about how to count things mm-hmm. or are still learning how to read music, get it. I mean, I've, I've used it with two of my current drummers, and the acceleration under that book is unreal. Mm-hmm. You know, and then also a lot of times it's just students who want to learn how to play songs. They just want to play in the band. They don't want to be Steve Gadd. They just want to learn how to play some drums and go play in their band. Yeah. So we'll choose songs. We'll work on parts of the songs, and then I'll develop exercises on my own to help you get better. That's how I developed the Zepidital lesson for my channel, which is basically a, a paradiddle exercise applied to the hands and feet with a system for your hi hat, you know, uh, or with a hi hat with a system based upon hi hat off beats and different standard ride patterns. Mm-hmm. I learned it from a great officer drummer named Kenny Falcon, and uh, but I, I applied it to Zeppelin music because I was playing in the Zepp tribute band. Nice. And I had to get better. So I started doing these Zeppelin and sure enough, you start doing this program, go play some Zeppelin afterwards. Yeah, it's funny you tell me how I, I just got done watching that video about two hours ago and I really enjoyed that one as well. Dude, thank you. I'm going to do rest of the continuation of the series here in the next couple of weeks. But I will share with you this, is that when I brought that point and showed it to my drummer, Stanley Randolph, it came in a moment when I was with Stevie Wonder. We're in Taste of Chicago, 2008. And I mean, you know, thank you for your compliment on my drumming and stuff, but like the players I work for, bro, I mean, come on. Yeah. Bro, people will go like, why don't you work? Why aren't you the drummer for Stevie Wonder? I'm like, oh, oh, you want to see why I'm not the drummer for Stevie Wonder? Come <laughs> here, let me see. And I'll open the door to where like Stanley or LJ or Chris was practicing and they'll watch it and they'll go, oh, Oh my God. Okay. That's too much. Close the door. I'm like, no, you have to look at this. And they're like, close the door. It's too much. I'm like, no, look at it. And then don't ever ask me that question again. However, 
You know, there've been, I, I study these guys. I learn from them. I learn the parts. I get better as a drummer teching for these guys. And they bring that home to my local gigs. You know, I ain't trying to step on nobody's gig. I just love to play drums, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm not, I'm, you really, you think I'm people sometimes are like, why are you so bold about the drums? And I'm like, bro, that's boots green. Okay. Yeah. That's Rex Hardy. <laughs> I'm not passing up. They look at me and go, man, the ones are secure. Look at me and go, oh man, look at him. He's so cute. He plays drums. <laughs> hey man, throw my drums like a drumstick. Look at him go. <laughs> look at him go. Oh, it's so cute, man. Uh, you know? <laughs> no, I, I'm just a big fan of paying credit where it's due. And, and I can't say it enough. You're a great drummer yourself. And you're, and you're, oh, and, dude, thank you. I try. And I'm blessed to learn from these guys. I've learned so much, bro. It's, that's why I love Tekken. It's all one. It's all one thing to me. But uh, there was one moment where the guitar player for Stevie Wonder and I are friends, and he knew I did his F tribute band, and I had a sound check. Like, we weren't even in sound check yet. We were just set up. He came in early, and he did, you know, we, we jammed on a little bit of Ocean. He was playing it a little bit earlier. We messed around a little bit, like, for a few minutes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, no big deal, right? Band comes in, Stevie comes in, everyone's jamming. And then, and at the end of the sound check, he goes, "Hey man, how about let's play some of that Zeppelin you were playing? Man, I heard you playing some Zeppelin earlier." <laughs> Everyone looks straight at me. I'm like, "Oh man, this, this may not go that well." <laughs> but I'm thinking to myself, "Surely Stanley Randolph." Yeah. Well, Stanley was so young, bro. He didn't. I mean, he knows so much. Like he was killing it with Jill Scott. Mm-hmm. Give me a break. Killing it with uh, with Backstreet Boys and, and New Kids on the Block. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, he was slaughtering that show. Zep wasn't necessarily a thing he listened to a lot of, uh-huh. <laughs> you know, and it just wasn't one of his bands. Yeah. Coldplay knows the whole catalog. That's not really, you know. <laughs> really, that's weird. Yeah, that's a weird one. These kids, these kids. <laughs> but uh, so they go to play it, and he didn't know it. And Stevie kind of got a little bomb, walks off stage. Who gives real plays that play? <laughs> and the, afterwards, the guitar player looks at me and goes, "Bam, now, now, now," like a question. I was like, "For you, Arrow." Anytime. And I sit down, I start playing it. Stanley turns around and looks at me and goes, Hell yeah, bro, show me what's up. He was running out on stage, puts on his bass. The keyboard player, uh, both keyboard players, stand up and start playing some, some Zeppelin. Well, I've got Stevie Wonder's band jamming Zeppelin with me, bro. No, absolutely no words, dude. And you're sitting there in it. So the funny thing is, flash forward to the end of our tour, like, a, uh, like, a year later and we're in Australia or New Zealand last show of the tour. And Stevie calls out Zeppelin again. And Stanley hadn't done his homework on that uh, one. He did. I mean, dude, he knows Stevie's whole catalog. I wouldn't expect him yeah. to know Zepp, but he was like, Oh damn, damn. <laughs> <laughs> Man. So <laughs> they didn't do it. And finally Stanley goes, Kenny, what are you doing on that to make it work? Because I sat down and played it. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And so I showed it to him. And I showed him what it was. I said, dude, it's nothing more than this. It's just like, think about superstition. And what you're playing on now, put that to Zeppelin, feel the two together, and there it is. I talked to him about the Zeppelin. Bro, he's, I, I was so humbled that Stanley Randolph himself sat there for like 30 minutes, just toying with the concepts, playing with it, rocking it, grooving it. And then he went and had dinner, right? Mm-hmm. They go play the show. They get to Superstition. And what Stanley's groove was so unbelievably deep that it literally felt like the band was lifting off the stage like a UFO. 
Huh. Stevie Wonder starts shouting his name. Stanley! Stanley! <laughs> on the piano, starts dancing, doing this dance, going, Stanley! Stanley! <laughs> and just, I mean, just the band's tripping. So later that night at the bar, I walk in, the whole band turns around and goes, man, what'd you tell Stanley? I'm like, what do you mean? He said, did you hear Superstition tonight? I said, man, just that's what's up, man. It's okay. He, he, he already doing it. Just reminded him that that's what he's looking for. Oh, wow. I, I, and I mean, just to have that moment with my drummer, come on, man. I'm so blessed, dude. Yeah. I'm so lucky. Yeah, that's a, you know, that's a huge one right you there. You know, I would never offer, but if you ask, I did his F tribute band for three years. That's what I did, you know? Damn. Damn. Yeah, that's a, that's, that's an incredible story. It's hard to have a, a normal day after that one, probably for a little bit. <laughs> Bro, no words, you know? But that brings me to the point of kits. You talked about kits that were good to tune. Like, uh-huh. Stanley's Pearl um, reference kits. Ah, they were so nice, dude. Yeah. Awesome drums. Chris Johnson's Oak kit, his Yamaha Oak Custom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they had that funky, uh, uh, the tour, the custom, like, tour, lug. He had a set of those, and then he had a set that didn't have that. I preferred the set that didn't have that, but the ones that had the little hanging lug that hooks on, so you don't have to unthread it. You can just do the drum head again. Uh-huh. Those could be a bit testy, but they sound so good. Yeah, I have a reference. And then, of course, man, DW, Aaron Spears' DW kit, you know, uh, uh, Gerald Hayward's DW kit. LJ's, LJ's Star Classic, Bo Bingo's, oh my God. Really, yeah, I saw, I saw your video on that one, too, with the cotton balls, right? Yeah, dude, all of them, man. There's one on tom tuning, there's one on bass drum tuning, there's one on snare tuning. And they talk about the pitches and the places I, I tuned them so you can understand better about what it is you're doing. A lot of people don't understand, man. Diecast tubes, for example, they can be very sturdy, easy to tune, and then sometimes it can be a bit rickety. Depends on the drum it's on. But a little goes a long way on a diecast tube. So if you even go just a little past on the thread, uh, it's a whole mess. And this is, might be a myth you know, question. That's why I, I advocate a 2K system. Been doing it since I was in like high school. But if you use two keys, you approach the drum in a balanced fashion that allows the hoop to come down as one. Hmm. And you're setting it with two tension points, not one tension point. Mm-hmm. You know, if you use one key, tighten it down, that's your reference of tension for all the other tension rods on the drum. Mm-hmm. No. No. Because then it's like a, a circular thing. You're just teetering back and forth. Mm-hmm. You know? Uh, for example, if you watch Cobra Kai right now, which unfortunately my wife and I are way into, it's such a guilty pleasure that I can't. <laughs> I haven't yet, but I've, everyone's been but telling me Cobra to. Kai, he has to get on that disc in the water. Miyagi made this as a comics to balance, and they're working together, uh-huh. and they're working too. You can feel, like I said, you can feel as you move around the disc, you can feel each other's movement. It's the same thing on the drum. Mm-hmm. Your hands begin to know each other, and they begin to understand it. That's a lot of what I teach and preach in my lessons. And the look on drummers' faces when they go, oh, my God, this was in front of me the whole time. I always thought maybe it was this way or this would be a good idea. I just didn't know. And we get we reinforce the good tuning laws these people have. Mm-hmm. And we get rid of the bad, bad miss. Bad miss got to go. Yeah. And There's I, a thing on, on the web which makes me sick called the mass-off method. And I, I can't, I, million what views? Oh, my God, that thing is terrible. That's going to break your drum, bro. <laughs> They have this thing called gaff tape. They have a big, fast snare drum. They have Udell. Uh-huh. How about you just not tune two of the tension rods? Yeah. It's all going to sound like butt basket if that's what you want. Uh-huh. 
Yeah. Sounds like I hit it. I took a dead squirrel and hit it. <laughs> <laughs> but I was going to ask you, one thing has always been a myth. I don't know if it's true, but was Bonham uh, lining his base drum with tinfoil, or is that a myth? I, I have no idea, man. Because I was reading on that. I have no idea. Like, There's a lot of people. I used to get into lore, but I started getting so busy, man, because I don't just do drums. I do keyboards. I, I, I do Pro Tools. I do Ableton. Like, I, I record in Pro Tools the most of the studios I work in. Mm-hmm. I take care of guitars. I take care of basses. Nice. Um, you know, I do uh, all this web design I do. I do it all. All the video editing, I do it all. All the creation, script creation, everything, it's on me. Nice. You know, and at the same point in time, I teach lessons. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. then I got kids. So, yeah, I was like, so I'll start, I'm sorry to interrupt. Yeah, you're definitely a busy yeah, guy in all ends there, so. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, We're musicians, man. This is how we got to make our money. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, well, I just really want to thank you for coming on today. I know you got some stuff lined up after this, but, Kenny, it's been a big honor. And just, I, I mean, I could probably ask you for hours for stories and et cetera, but thank you so much for coming on. Man, it's my pleasure. And for anyone listening, uh, please check it out, man. Uh, KennySheriff.net will get you there or YouTube Kenny Sherritt. That's S-H-A-R-R-E-T-T-S. Because there's a lot of information there. I don't show you all my mojo, but I help you find the path to a drum sound. What I always recommend is watch some of our videos, book a lesson. If you book a lesson, all of a sudden everything you learned in that video gets reinforced. Mm-hmm. And like I said, within an hour, hour and a half, all of a sudden you got a great ear, great hands, great feel, and your drums sound great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, guys, definitely reach out to Kenny. Um, once again, thank you. And uh, if you enjoyed the show, uh, we're on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube. Uh, subscribe and share with your friends. Thanks a lot, guys.